This podcast is brought to you by the new Yahoo Finance Premium. If you're looking to take your investing to the next level, Premium has you covered. Try it free at yahoofinance.com slash premium. Some influencers rise in one era but thrive in another. Robert Swan is the ultimate example. He began his career at General Electric, climbing the ranks of that mega company over 15 years. But in the late 1990s, he leapt headfirst into the tech boom, going from one dot-com venture to the next until he landed at eBay as CFO. Last year, he became the chief executive of Intel, where he has helped the world's biggest chip maker reach $70 billion in annual sales. And now Apple has bought parts of Intel's modem business worth a billion or more. He's here to talk about why tech is at the center of the business world and what that means for everyone else. I'm Andy Serwer. Welcome to Influencers and welcome to our guest, Bob Swan, the CEO of Intel. Bob, great to see you. Great, Andy. Wonderful to be here with you. Actually, we're, we're here with you, right? Because we're here yeah, in the yeah. Intel offices in San Francisco. Yeah. So thanks so much for hosting us here today. Yeah, great to have you. So you have been CEO for about four months now. Um, and I guess it's logical to ask you, how's it going? And, and what's your strategy for the company at this point? Well, four months, I'd start with time flies when you're having fun, um, maybe as a starter. But, um, you know, for the last four months and even for the six or so months before that when I was in the interim capacity, we've had a strategy that we think uh, is pretty clear and we feel comfortable with it. And in essence, it's about transforming the company from a PC-centric company to a data-centric company uh, to take advantage of the increasing demands that both enterprises and consumers have for data and all the technology that's required to store, process, analyze, and retrieve that data. So that's what we've been doing, focused on key technology inflections to position position the company well for an increasingly data-centric world. And four months in, it's uh, just as much fun today as it was day one. Recently, you said, Bob, that um, some of the affected the company had let shareholders down. What did you mean by that, and, and how do you plan to change that then? Yeah, so we closed uh, 2018. It was our 50th anniversary, and it was, the best rec- it was the best year in the company's history. So we felt very good exiting 2018, and we came into 2019 with what I'd characterize as both tailwinds and headwinds. But we gave an outlook for 2019 that said we'd continue with our strategy. And we thought 2019 would be yet another record year for the company. And the reality was 90 days in, our outlook for the rest of the year, while we had a very strong first quarter, 90 days in, our outlook for the rest of the year was not quite as good as we thought it would be when we entered the year. So we lowered our outlook. And in that, we take our responsibility and our accountability seriously. And we let investors down when we told them that we weren't going to quite play out the year as well as we expected in January. All that being said, in our 51st year, it'll be the second best year in the history of the company based on the outlook we gave. So we feel good about the trends. We feel good about strategically where we are, but we don't like to disappoint our investors. Right. Sort of over-deliver ultimately is what you're looking at. Ultimately, yes. So let's talk about how you grew up. Upstate New York, 
What was that like? Did you want to be the CEO of a tech company when you grew up when you were young? <laughs> uh, that was the least of my, uh, my worries. So I grew up in upstate New York. I have uh, um, uh, eight siblings, all kind of condensed. And um, you know, my worries at the time were more about um, you know, winning the next basketball game and, um, and trying to avoid infuriating my brothers at my expense. So that was my biggest worries at the time. But I grew up with great parents and uh, wonderful siblings and we're very tight today. So um, I was more worried about being a, you know, being a good sibling, being a good, uh, being a good son were more, uh, more things that I was preoccupied with at the time. You went to a public university nearby and studied business. You played rugby in college. What was your college experience like? It was a long time ago, <laughs> um, but it was great. I mean, think, I think both the, um, the interplay of, of academics and sports, I think, were a very important foundation for me in terms of how my career evolved over time. Obviously, the the the, the academics, the learning, the content, but also um, um, rugby for me was uh, a team sport. And I, I, um, I think about running a company, regardless of what role you're in, is a bit of a team sport. It's not, there's not a, there's not the, um, it's not run by one company. Um, it's being content rich academics, but also being able to make the people around you play at a level they didn't quite think was possible. And in my university days, that's what I learned from classroom, from uh, team studies, but also from team sport, rugby in particular. You have a wealth of experience um, at different companies, and uh, I want to go through a lot of that. Um, first of all, GE, you worked there for 15 years. What did you learn there, Bob? And then also, were you surprised at the company's struggles recently? Um, well, for me, yeah, I started right out of right out of school, and um, it was the ultimate um, meritocracy at the time. Um, if you did a good job, uh, more opportunities were there for you, and the company was so diverse and so broad, and the people so talented that the company gave you the opportunity to move around. And I think from moving around, you would be um, with a different team, in a different industry trying to solve a different problem. So, um, and, and the constant in the company was change. How do you keep performing at a different level? So that was the formative um, years of my career. And I was, I was blessed. It's a phenomenal company at the time, incredible, incredible leaders, and just the opportunity to be put into new situations where the expectation is um, you're not there to define problems. The expectation is you're there to make it better as a result of your presence. And I think that in conjunction with education and sport, um, that GE was a continuation of my learning and development on how to be an effective leader to get the most out of teams. And um, GE was the foundation of, of my career. And I look back on it with extremely fond memories. Um, I left in 1999, um, so... Good timing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to, I'm probably not the best person to reflect on um, the recent challenges the company struggled with. Uh, for me, phenomenal experience and a real solid foundation for my development. Did it surprise you then that the company had 
such issues. Maybe it's because you left. You were no longer there. It had to be that. But I mean, did it seriously? Did it surprise you? Oh, sure, uh, sure. I mean, I, and uh, you know, when I left in 1999, um, I'd been there, as you said, for 15 years. It was, you know, it was a company that was at the top and had a healthy culture and perspective. Uh, there was zero complacency, and the idea of staying on top. Um, 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 a moral, ethical fiber that existed. You never think those things go away. Right. Um, but, um, you know, they've had some challenges of late. And I think for, uh, for, for me and my role, it's not really to opine about others' challenges. It's to learn from others' experiences to avoid, to avoid maybe pitfalls. Uh, learn at others' expense sometimes. And I, uh, that's how I think about the situation. You worked at Webvan um, back in the dot-com boom, which was a company that was very high profile, and then it tanked. And, and I'm wondering, you know, what did you learn from that, Bob? And then also, you know, do you see any similarities between the environment then and the environment today? Things are certainly booming in the valley these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, the learnings were incredible. If you think about it, um, I had, um, when, I, when I joined Webvan, I left a company that um, I really loved, and I really grew from it, and I met my wife at GE and my best man from GE. So it was a company that was very special to me, but to a certain extent, it was time for me to do something different. And I never wanted to go anywhere where I would maybe compare each day mm -hmm. to GE, because I knew I'd be miserable. So in 1999, if you want to go somewhere where there's no circumstances upon which you'll compare to your prior employer, it was coming out to Silicon Valley at the time, and, and for me, Webvan in particular. My, um, you know, for the, the company at the time and just the internet uh, more broadly, um, you know, disruptive technology that through the use of technology disrupt existing industries. And I would say at Webvan, you know, we, we used to think that we were trying to maybe disrupt the hardest industry at the time, and that is to um, uh, allow online shopping for things as diverse as fruit, fruit um, uh, hard goods, meat, eggs, and deliver it to your home in a 30-minute window of right. your choice. It's a very complicated solution, and that's what I loved about it, um, is how do I leverage my experiences and, a, uh, and deploy them into a situation where, um, you know, uh, survival or failure may solely be dependent on the role I play and how effectively I play it. Um, and the Webvan experience, um, I was in both the, the boom days and the bus days. They just happened to be very close together. <laughs> so for me, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, making um, making bets um, and uh, while maintaining your focus in a highly uh, ever-changing environment. So um, it, was a, it was a disappointing outcome, but personally and professionally, I learned a lot about how to be a more effective leader. And your second question, just kind of the compare and contrast of um, the, the, the boom of the internet at the time and maybe uh, the environment today, I think they're very different. I mean, at the time, um, um, less discerning ideas could always get money. 
Um, so there was um, all sorts of um, ideas that just could find a way to capital. Um, I think the capital today is a little more discerning. Um, large companies um, um, can be successful. Uh, there may be a lot of investment required to get to ultimate success. You can argue about valuations and whether they're too low or too high. But really, the difference is back in 99, it seemed like every idea um, had endless access to capital. And I think the capital is a little more discerning now about who's actually able to raise money. Two other uh, leaders that you work for, Ross Perot at EDS and Meg Whitman at eBay, worked as CFOs for both of them, correct? Um, well, um, I, I did, yes, except I, I was a CFO at EDS, but Ross Pro when I joined was long gone. Right. Um, so, what, um, did you have uh, interactions with him and, or just the organization generally? What was that like? Well, I, I, I did early on when I joined just um, um, because obviously it was a new company, a new culture um, um, when I joined EDS. Um, and I found it helpful to learn as much as I can from as many people that had an impact on the formation of that culture over time. So I had a chance both to uh, engage with Ross Sr. and with Ross Jr., who was playing a role in the industry at the time. And they're a source of learning, you know, a source of learning a little bit about what's the, you know, what's the culture about and how do you affect change in a very strong culture. And EDS had an incredibly... Um, customer-centric mindset. So for me, learning a little bit about the evolution of that mindset, what was the formation of it, of which Ross Sr. was a part. And Ross Jr. actually in a company uh, nearby, um, Pro Systems, um, used a lot of those skills that his dad developed. So I had an opportunity to seek out insights, perspectives from others, uh, from others along the way, and they were two of the people on the list. Um, Meg uh, Whitman hired me at eBay to be to be her CFO, um, and um, you know, uh, instincts and courage um, were one of the or two of the traits that I got to learn from Meg. Incredibly smart, dynamic leader, but the things that really were towering strengths is her ability to see information clearer than everybody else, and with that. Uh, analytical mind, having the instincts and the courage to take action from the information that she was looking at. So two, uh, two people that had impacts on my career, and you know, I've been blessed. I've been blessed over the course of years to interact with some incredibly talented people and have the opportunity to learn from and grow from them over the years. This podcast is brought to you by the new Yahoo Finance Premium. Are you ready to take your investing to the next level? With premium features, advanced data, and a sophisticated new way to stay on top of your portfolio, you can trade with complete confidence. Because it's more than just your portfolio, right? It's your money. Yahoo Finance Premium lets you trade up using tools that help you go beyond the fundamentals with industry-leading insights and detailed company profiles. You can trade up to advanced portfolio tools that help you monitor allocation, diversification, and risk. You'll discover new opportunities with detailed research reports and investment ideas that are updated every single day. So are you ready to trade up? Try it free today at yahoofinance.com premium.
you came here and you became the interim CEO last year after your predecessor was found to have an inappropriate uh, relationship. Um, two questions. One, how did you weather that storm, number one? And number two, I believe that you said that you weren't necessarily interested in becoming the full-time CEO. Why is that? So those two questions. Bob. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to a certain extent, we'll go back to that rugby thing you talked about a while back or from jobs along the way where invariably um, on a team, um, players go down. And when players go down, the challenge is, um, what I've learned along the way, is how do you fill that void such that the team doesn't skip a beat even though you lost one of your better players. And um, when Brian left fairly abruptly, we were a team that lost you know, one of our best players and our leader. And the challenge was, how do you step in, fill the void? And um, I think that's what, that's what I uh, attempted to do. Um, that's what the board attempted to do. And that's what the management team attempted to do. We lost one of our players. What are we going to do about it? Let's step up and take the company to another level. And that was the, uh, that was the approach that I used. And that's the approach that you know, the, the, the team that I was surrounded with used. And we kind of did that during an interim period, in effect to, obviously because the, the you know, success of the company was, you know, in our hands and we took that serious, but also to buy the board of directors the time they needed to go through a very um, um, uh, elaborate process to ensure that they were finding the right person and were didn't have to react quickly, but to, to, took the time necessary to evaluate internal candidates, external candidates, to um, align around who they thought would be the best, um, the best person to take the company forward. And I think during that, during that journey, during that interim time frame, um, um, I, I, I didn't start, frankly, wanting to do the job, because I loved my day job. Um, and uh, over the course in time, I think um, both the board, the management team, and the employees and myself got increasingly comfortable that I would be the right person for the job. And last and certainly not least, um, my wife said it was okay. <laughs> what, what about this notion, Bob, that you know, the CEO of this company Going back in history, Andy Grove, Paul Odellini, Craig Barrett, they all had these science backgrounds. Um, you don't have that. Is that a handicap? Is that okay? You know, I, I, obviously I think it is. Um, but it's okay. A, that it's okay. Yeah. I mean, we're a company that's incredibly rich in science backgrounds. We're not short of um, maybe the best scientists in the world, thousands and thousands of the best scientists in the world. Um, so I think we have, we have that in the company. Um, and I think the challenge in my role is, um, how do you ensure that the science is being applied towards great ideas that will be meaningful for our customers and for, and for our shareholders and um, help to, through inquisition, strategic direction, help get 107,000 people working together as one team rather than the brilliant scientists that we have working as multiple teams. Ultimately, I think that's what's critical for this role and leveraging the incredible uh, science talent that we have 
and trying to gear it such that we're taking advantage of what we think are the, the biggest opportunities in the company's rich and storied history. The chip business is so wild and crazy these days, it seems to me. And, you know, a lot of our people uh, who are watching this are investors, and they see all the different headlines. Um, how would you describe what's going on in the chip business right now? Well, to your point, it's extremely dynamic, and it's one that um, it's an industry that hasn't had this much innovation in a very long time. And all of a sudden, through a confluence of factors, um, there's lots of investment, there's lots of um, deployment, there's lots of innovation that's going on in the chip industry that is exciting and is good. And it makes semis more relevant today than than they've ever been. And it's at, at its core, there's really, in our mind, three uh, technology inflections that um, come around over time and you want to be well positioned to capitalize on those. One is artificial intelligence and the role that artificial intelligence is playing that makes the um, ability to digest more and more information to make it relevant and from that relevant data allow people to enjoy something and or act on it. Um, so that technology inflection of artificial intelligence is having a profound impact on a lot of industries. And at its core, it's enabled by semis. Um, second, uh, 5G. So the, um, the, this convert, 5G we believe is a convergence of two extremely important tech technology industries, compute and communications. And 5G has them converging and has them converging out, out in the network, out at the edge. And from that, um, and, and latencies will require all sorts of new business models. At its core of the deployment of 5G is semiconductors. And then third, um, just autonomy um, and then uh, um, specifically autonomous vehicles as maybe the, the next biggest use, use case of compute. Um, what's going on in autonomous driving, a big market where the role of technology will play in impacting consumers' lives is only going to be greater. At its core is silicon and semiconductors. So as we step back and think about the market that we serve, uh, the opportunities that we have, it's a great time to be in the midst of the semiconductor, the chip industry, because increasingly it's not just about the chip inside of a PC. It's the chip and other chips inside of everything, because increasingly everything looks like a computer. Right. So uh, that's the opportunities we have, and those are the technology inflections we're investing behind and the markets that we're going after. As that relates to your business and your business mix, the 5G, for instance, you got out of the 5G modem uh, space and sort of allowed Qualcomm to fill that gap, supplying Apple. There's all the, the lawsuit between those two companies that was settled. Qualcomm's got all kinds of issues itself. Um, there's that. Do you have shortages in some areas of chips that you're looking to, to um, make at this point? So what is the, the mix, the product mix yeah. look like? Well, first, um, on the technology inflection of 5G, um, what we think is most important for the industry and the role we'll play is at the network. Again, where this convergence of 
um, compute and communications will happen at the network, at base stations, that will allow us all sorts of new business models. When we say leading in 5G, we think that's where we have a unique uh, place to play. A component of 5G is um, the modem for the smartphone. Right. And what we said that we were exiting was the modem for the smartphone. For the phones, right, exactly. Not necessarily yeah, the right. role yep. that modems may play yep. in all the other devices at the edge, but for the smartphone in particular. And the reason simply was we try to use three criteria on technology inflections and investments we'll make. One, um, we want to be a leader in technology inflections that really matter. Two, that it helps us play a bigger and broader role in our customers' success. And three, we can make money for our shareholders. And we've, uh, we concluded that in the modem for the smartphone, where we really only had one customer, that the likelihood and the probability that we were going to be able to make money um, was just not, not there um, as we look forward in light of the dynamics of the market. So with that, we announced the exit of the smartphone modem oh, right. as we evaluate opportunities as to what the modem will mean at the edge uh, going forward. Any shortages for your customers right now? So uh, unrelated, um, we had, I talked earlier about um, um, our, our record year last year, um, the year before closed extremely strong. Our growth was much stronger than we expected. The implications of that is we ended up in a position where we didn't have enough supply to meet the growing demand of these chips um, for these computers uh, that were taking new different shapes. So we found ourselves in a situation in the latter part of last year and through the first half of this year where demand was uh, exceeding supply. So we had to work with our customers to prioritize what products made the most sense for them and those products that uh, were less important through their eyes, we were short. And our expectations are um, from increased investments we made last year and this year is that we will be um, supply enabled um, as we go into the second half of this year. It's kind of a high class problem, right? It, it's a good a problem, bit. but it's a problem. Right, right. Customers, they count on us to have technologies for them and um, we, we want to be in a position to um, provide them the technology that they need to help their businesses grow. Is Intel being impacted by the trade war with China and also the issues that the U.S. government has with Huawei? Yeah. China's a big market for us, um, and we've been operating there for 30 years, and we've been operating in, in multiple ways. Um, we have a lot of customers, in China, we have a lot of global customers who, who do assembly in China. We have great technical talent in China, and we have a, uh, a fab, and we have an assembly plant. So it's a market that has been very important to us uh, over, the, over the years, both the market itself, but also the role that it plays in terms of global supply chain. So the dynamics of um, uh, tariffs um, impact the flow of goods. So we've had to work with our customers to, in light of the situation, how do you use your capabilities as a global supply player in the industry 
to effectively mitigate inherent risk of uh, imposed tariffs have on the flow of global trade. And that's one that we work with our customers um, um, and we do it within the, role, within the rules. So in the second part of your question, Huawei is an important customer of ours and a partner of ours over the years. But at the same time, uh, we, you know, we operate by the rules of the road in the countries in which we operate in. So um, currently the U.S. export control uh, laws um, uh, impede our ability to do some things and we have to abide by that. So um, it has impacts on us. Uh, most importantly um, for us is as a company and as an industry, the semiconductor industry, we believe strongly in uh, open global and fair trade and we advocate for that the best we can along the way. What about M&A? Infineon just uh, purchased Cyprus and you know, you've seen all the steel making over the past several years. Is that a part of your playbook? I mean, it has been a part of the playbook in the past. So over the last several years, as we think about this, this transition from a PC-centric to a data-centric world and the need for um, new, new architectures, not just a CPU, but a GPU and accelerators and ASICs and AI chips. In that world, we've made a couple acquisitions ourselves over the last several years that expand the role we play in the industry. Altera, with the FPGAs they provide, it allows us to uh, capitalize on a technology inflection and play a bigger role in our customer success and generate returns. Um, so Altera, three or so years ago, and then a couple years ago, the acquisition of Mobileye that essentially allowed us to bring, with Mobileye's success, and with Intel's technologies play a much bigger role in what we think is gonna be a critical technology inflection, which is autonomous driving going forward. So acquisitions have been an important part of the makeup of our company in this increasingly data-centric world. Our focus right now is on making those acquisitions work. Right, as opposed to going shopping right, right now? Our focus is on making those acquisitions work. Got it. Um, what is your business telling you about the state of econ the economy right now, Bob? What, are, what do you see from your customers? Well, we've seen, uh, we're a very global company and we have obviously uh, enterprise clients and consumers, uh, consumer clients who purchase, who purchase PCs. And we've seen, um, we've seen a few things. Um, one macro level, um, last year, um, with the enterprise clients was a record year for the industry and for our business. And in the first, um, the first three months of this year, we saw quite a bit of slowing down in purchasing for our cloud customers hmm. and our enterprise customers. And we think that was the, the, the medium and long-term trends of needs for data. Storage, process, analysis, compute are relatively strong but the digestion of last year's purchases is taking a little bit longer than we expected. So uh, things this year are a little bit slower and people have paused a bit as they digest their record purchases of CPUs um, um, last year. That's a, that's a fairly macro thing. Um, a, a little more micro, um, the, our market in China slowed quite a bit. As I mentioned before, China's a big market for us and we saw slowing of demand on both the 
cloud, enterprise, and PC front in the first, exiting last year and the first three months of this year. So that's a, a bit more of a micro, a micro climate. And then third, we've seen a very strong commercial demand for PCs, so CIOs refreshing mm. their technology. Um, but we've seen consumers' uh, purchase of PCs continue to be relatively soft. So in the aggregate, um, the, the trends that we've been investing behind of um, technology inflections because consumers and enterprises want more data, those trends are very strong. Um, digestion, digesting um, previously acquired equipment, um, China in particular, and then consumers on the PC a little bit slower are kind of the trends we see. So medium long term, we feel great about the industry and the role we play and the level of innovation. Um, right now, we're on a bit of a pause. So, but a recession signs, anything that you see there? No, I think um, we're coming off a real strong uh, 2000, uh, a real strong nine years. Yeah. Um, and last year, a, re a strong US economy, stronger, and global economies all relatively strong. So it's uh, just not quite as strong as what we'd experienced last year. And finally, uh, Bob, this program is called Influencers. And so my question to you is, how do you want to use your influence as a leader going forward? Well, I think there's, there's multiple ways. But if I talk about how we use maybe um, social priorities to influence uh, becoming a stronger and better company at its core, um, diversity and inclusion. So for me as a leader of this company who has always had a very front-footed role in uh, embracing the power of teams and the performance of teams through both more diverse makeup in our employee base, but also inclusion so we get the best of everybody's contributions in everything we do. In the role of a CEO, it gives us that opportunity to really um, put our personal stamp biases on things that we think are extremely important, not just for society at large, but because it makes us a stronger company um, to build better products for our customers. Diversity and inclusion is very important to our company and very important to me. Bob Swan, Chief Executive of Intel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andy. Great to be with you. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.